Hello everyone, um, I hope you are well. Um, as you can probably tell, this episode is going to be very informative and very helpful and hopefully it's going to help you stop picking on sugar. And I guess that's why you're listening. Um, I have a wonderful guest on that is Katie from West Beach Challenges and we are discussing all things sugar all things tips and facts and helpful stuff to help you stop picking on sugar. I will add, I'm sorry if my audio was a little bit windy. I was up in my attic whilst this was being recorded and for some reason where I live there was a massive gale and storm going on so if you can hear a bit of wind and gust in the background, excuse uh, the pun, um, then it is because there is a storm going on. Um, but other than that, fingers crossed it's all good. And I hope you enjoy this podcast. And if you do, please, please, can you share it on your Instagram or on your Facebook or tell your friends and family about it and just spread the word because helping more people is one of my huge passions. It's one of my business values. And if I can help as many people as possible for free, then I'd love to do that. So please share, pass on the knowledge, tag me in your Instagram stories, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Just going to add Katie, if I can. Cool. So, just waiting for Katie to hop on. Um, and we are going to be talking to you about how to start picking on sugar. Let's just wait and see. It's really windy today and I am up in my attic. <laughs> I really hope that you... Ah, there she is. I can't <laughs> hear the wind. I'm just, just like magic. It's so windy outside. I don't know if it's windy where you are. All <laughs> you can hear is like the gushing of wind. So I'm sorry if you can hear a storm. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I think that it, Whit, uh, Whitstable is known for being like super windy. Um, so no, it's super windy. <laughs> um, cool. So we are going to be talking to you today about how to stop picking on sugar. Um, and we were just running through a few scientific facts that we're going to bring in throughout uh, this little uh, podcast live episode. So We've geeked out, haven't we, Angie? We have. Um, one thing I was going to say is if anybody has any questions throughout, please drop them below um, and we will happily answer them for you. So the question that I got asked was, how can I stop all the time? Is my audio okay? My little it is okay. I don't know if it's the wind, but I, there's... Yeah, I've dropped out once already, but we'll just crack on. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll go for it. Um, yeah, the question I got was, how can I stop picking on sugary snacks and sugary treats? So there it's is so, so common, much... isn't it? Like it's, yeah. I think, I think everyone thinks that they are maybe quite unique in their inability to control themselves around sugar, and there can be real guilt associated with it as well. But actually, I know you and I have both been kind of like looking into the geekery behind why we're kind of hardwired to be like sugar craving beasts. Um, so definitely, if you do feel like you're not in control of your sugar appetite, I think Angie and I are going to hopefully give some great tips. Yeah, absolutely. So where should we start? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see if I can get rid of, let me have a look. I don't have a great view. Uh, okay. Well, where shall we start? I think, um, so we both have been reading around the kind of, um, the subject because I think we both know what it's like and it can be that moment where you, it gets into your head that you need something sugary or sweet. And then before you know it, you're like climbing on a chair <laughs> and you're rifling through the back of a cupboard or you're just kind of hunting out anything that's going to kind of itch the scratch. And I know people before have said, you know, they can even, you know, put the food out of sight. But once that little kernel gets into their brains, it's quite obsessive. And all they can think about is consuming that sugary food or, or feeling out of control if they've got sugary foods in the house. And like they almost have to eat it all to get rid of it so they can relax. And when we, um, both of us, we kind of had a little pre-chat but I think what maybe I didn't fully appreciate and I think what will help people to know is that our brains are like glucose um, demanding machines 
and the preferred source for your brain is glucose. And we are hardwired, like properly hardwired to seek out sugar. And this even um, relates to people who might be saying things like, well, actually, I don't like sweet foods. I only like salty foods or kind of crisps. And obviously stay listening because actually you are still kind of being lured by the sugar trap and you probably are still kind of a victim to this hardwired innate desire to seek out glucose. Yeah, absolutely. Because the brain functions <laughs> glucose. So of course we're all going to, you know, crave sugar to some extent. I think one of the things that we could do is kind of backtrack a little bit and talk about what, what might happen if you are in this scenario where perhaps the reason why you can't stop eating sugar or snacking on sugar is you're not fueling yourself properly. And this is what I see quite a lot. And actually, I had a consultation with a new client the other day. And she said, you know, I'm studying a lot at the moment. I'm, you know, I'm working full time and I just don't eat. But when I do eat, I can't stop picking on sugary things. Yeah. And I said to her, when do you actually stop and have a meal? And she's like, well, it's two o'clock now and I don't. And, you know, I haven't stopped to have a meal, but then at four o'clock in the afternoon, that's when I might open the cupboard and I feel like I can't stop. So I think an essence of not being able to stop picking on sugar is you're not fueling yourself properly with also the right macronutrients, you know, making sure that you're having enough protein, fats and carbohydrates to have a balanced meal to yeah. enable you to function correctly. If you start there, you're then going to be able to eat less sugar because you're coming from a place where you are better fueled and you are yes. able to make more, you know, conscious decisions and proactive decisions when you are well fueled, you know? hundred yeah, percent. I think, um, yeah, that's really interesting because again, just to, I suppose to take it down at the brain level, because I did find that really um, interesting because I suppose what that person is doing is they're getting, um, they're, they're coming from kind of very low blood sugar they're almost like hypoglycemic. There's not enough sugar in their blood. So that drive to seek out sugar is so high because your body is very clever and it's always wanting you to get you back to homeostasis. It's always wanting to pull you back to level. So for that person who's let their blood sugar drop so low, you are seeking. So your seeking habits are going to be much higher than if you were someone who'd had a protein-centric breakfast with a bit of fat and carbs in it your blood sugar is going to be stable. So you've got a very different resting state. So that person you're describing who waited at two o'clock in the afternoon, you are going to be seeking out the quickest way to get your glucose higher. Um, and the problem is obviously, if you're coming from a very low level of a glucose in your blood, and then you then spike your blood sugar, you're obviously gonna spike it. You're gonna get a massive hit of dopamine. It's going to feel wonderful initially but then you're gonna get an equal and opposite um, degree of kind of pain. So I know we briefly discussed this sort of dopamine cycle. So when you're seeking out, so dopamine is the hormone in the brain that makes you find things. It's what kind of gets you off your bum and gets you to the fridge like rifling through it. But the problem is once you get a hit of dopamine, your brain wants to go back to homeostasis. It wants to go back to its flat level. So it's going to give you an equal and opposite kind of feeling of, I mean, we described it as it is that kind of pain. And I yeah. mean, describe your scenario because I thought that was great um, the way you described so it. Actually, yeah, we were talking about this the other day, the dopamine effect of, you know, the, they call it like the pleasure and, pay, um, pleasure and pain cycle. So for any of you listening, what I want you to try and do, because I've been doing this over the past couple of days, is the next time you have something very sweet and delicious is just after you finish eating it, Sorry, can you hear that wind? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so I'm surprised we've got any connection at all. I know. Um, after you've eaten that sweet thing, notice how much mental pain you're in. And what I mean by that is as soon as you finish eating that sweet thing, your brain will be driven to want more. And why is that? That is because of the pain experience we're getting from the dopamine effect. So this is what drives us to want more. We get pleasure from the sweetness, but then right after that second, the dopamine levels, I think they drop slightly, and yeah. that's where you then experience pain. So if you, and this is where we talk about, you know, sitting with discomfort. If you can practice sitting with that pain as such, yeah. then you will get better at not going back for more. But I yeah. have 
cream last night. I'm obsessed with ice cream. I love them. And I noticed as soon as I had my ice cream, once I'd finished it, I was like, oh, I could have another. Yes, that, yes. that is the pain that you will experience. But if you can sit with that, and you know, clients have said, said this to me before, or I had a bit of piece of chocolate, and actually I just sat with it for 10 minutes, and then I didn't want to go back for more, that is sitting with the pain, yeah. you know? And your brain will go back to that level, and you kind of, like, you can apply it to anything. You can apply it to sugar, you can apply it to booze. But what's happening is because you get that dip, after that lovely rush, you get that dip, you want to bring yourself back. So you go back to seeking and wanting more. So that might be the, um, you know, more ice cream that you don't really want, doesn't really line up with your goals at the moment. And that's going to keep you frustrated, but you want it. The drive is there. Or having one alcoholic drink and then getting that dip, wanting to kind of chase that initial buzz. So you go for another one. But the interesting thing to know, and I do think knowledge is power, is the way dopamine works, it's, I suppose it's quite clever, but you won't ever get that initial hit again. So that first taste of chocolate cake or that first slice of chocolate cake is gonna give you a dopamine hit. And then you're gonna have that equal and opposite effect, that kind of pain that we're talking about. Say you go for that second slice of chocolate cake, you aren't going to have that same response. You're not gonna get the same pleasure from it. And obviously, before you know it, you're just feeling sick and disappointed with yourself and, you know, stuck. So actually knowing that and knowing that, and I really love that idea of law of diminishing returns. So the fact that, you know, a little bit of chocolate might be worth it. One glass of wine might be worth it, but it's the second, third, or, you know, heart, you know, 50 grams of chocolate might be worth it. A hundred grams of chocolate, you're, you're not getting that same dopamine release you're not getting the same level of pleasure from it and actually it's starting to kind of create this kind of burden on you because it isn't aligning with where you're wanting to take your body and you're feeling stuck and you're feeling frustrated but I think that knowledge of sitting with it and I often say to people can you just put a barrier in the way so if you are you know you've decided to have like 50 grams of dark delicious chocolate uh, my favorite currently has got cherries in it and obviously when I finish it my instant, I'm feeling pain and I'm feeling like I want a bit more. But if you can put like a barrier in your way, like if you can say, well, actually, if in 30 minutes I still desperately want it, like I think 30 minutes is quite good. So actually, you know, deciding on what the portion that feels good for you, that does align with where you're wanting to take your body composition is sitting, mindfully enjoying it, not standing at the fridge, not that I've ever done this, I have, um, and shoveling it into your mouth as quickly as possible, but actually deciding on the portion that feels right, enjoying it mindfully, and then having a, and even though you know you're gonna want more, having that actual break is so important. So that kind of road bump. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just thinking in my head there, that, you know, the, knowing that the first taste of something is never going to taste the same as the second is power because this is where we can start to look at delayed gratification. So when I say to clients, you know, think about delaying your gratification, think about actually, you know, maybe having that chocolate on a Friday night when you're going to enjoy it the most. Knowing that actually having that chocolate, you know, that bar of chocolate on a Friday night is going to be most enjoyable rather than having it every single night. And actually, you know, you then become a like pain pleasure seeking animal. It, it, it just gives you that power to say, right, well, I can either keep going with this habit and keep feeding myself sugar now, or actually what I know is that that one time that I take that first bite and I enjoy that delicious chocolate bar, that is when I'm going to enjoy it the most. I'm going to save it for that, yeah. you know? And I think that that in itself is so much power. Um, there was something else I was going to add to the end there, but now I can't remember. I was going to say that ties in nicely with that idea as well. Like I always say to my clients, you have complete permission to eat. Like you can eat anything you want. So maybe you do want to eat that Haribo. That's fine. Like portion out what you want, sit down and enjoy it. But actually, once you get that complete permission, it might be that you'll prefer like a better quality thing and something that you actually really do enjoy. Um, I feel like I've lost my thread of thought there as well. But that idea of... Um, yeah, delayed gratification, thinking about what you really want and then sitting down and enjoying it. It's going to make it even more enjoyable. You're still probably going to get that after like a little bit of pain. Um, but also knowing that law of diminishing returns might mean that if you're out for dinner, 
you know, I went out for dinner the other day with some um, girlfriends and we shared like a dessert between five of us. And we all just wanted a spoon. None yeah. of us wanted to eat the whole thing. Not because we can't eat a whole dessert. Obviously, if I'd wanted a whole dessert, I would have had one. But it was just something, something sweet. And I would have eaten a whole one. But actually, like, we were like, it, and we must have looked ridiculous. There was like five spoons and one tiramisu. But it was enough because it was that, that first or second, or maybe I even snuck in three because I'm quite greedy to share with. <laughs> but that was delicious. Yeah. I don't think I would have been tasting it by bite four, five, six, seven. I'm glad you brought up the restaurant, actually, because this is something that I wanted to discuss. So one of the things that I see, and I've been in this scenario, and I'm sure a lot of people have, is once you've had a meal, you instantly crave something sweet. Now, this can happen a lot if you are following a low calorie diet and the reason for that is because you potentially haven't covered all your macronutrients in your meal for example when i used to um you know calorie track and i used to be quite low calories the one thing that would always go for me is fat i just cut out fat because it was the easiest thing because it was the highest yeah. calorie so i might have for lunch let's say some rice some chicken and some salad always after that meal i would be like searching out the sweetest thing possible now the one thing i would encourage you to do is make sure that you have enough variety and katie you love this kind of stuff so i know we, we can go there but enough variety in your meal that you actually enjoy it because there's two elements here. Eating the same thing every day can be really helpful for some clients because it just makes it easier, right? So, you know, you go to work, you have your chicken, your rice, your salad, and it's really accessible, it's easy, and it keeps you on track as such. The other flip side of that is it's quite boring. Your body gets used to it, and that's then when these, like, sweet cravings can kick in because your body's searching for more pleasure because yeah. it didn't find that much pleasure in the food. So actually making sure that you incorporate your full macronutrients, increasing your fats in your uh, main meals is really important because it's going to help increase that satiety factor. Yeah. And also the pleasure. Like, fat is delicious and fat yeah. is flavor so if you've taken that away you're 100 percent right like when people say to me that they kind of feel like quite searchy after a meal i'm like actually like we need to kind of go backwards like what was the meal did it kind of like i want you spiking dopamine with everything you eat like i want whatever you're eating to be spiking your dopamine all over the place but i want it to be like deliciously prepared like vegetables protein like carbs whatever it is but like elevated yeah. so you know that squeeze of lime juice that sprinkle of fresh herbs that that bit of extra love because i think often like and I, I do think it is more particular to women we're looking for something else when we're looking for sugar and food like we're maybe we're not feeling kind of nurtured maybe we're not feeling looked after maybe we're not feeling very satisfied maybe we're feeling bored and i do think women are really good at kind of therefore seeking whatever's deplete yeah. in their lives through something they might find in the in the kitchen so Absolutely. it is kind of reverse engineering a little bit and it's not just tackling you i think you're exactly right with what we started talking about but like tackling the sugar like actually let's kind of forget about almost the sugar and like start tackling your main meals and your um, sense of satisfaction with your diet. And, and I did a podcast the other day, which was all about your beliefs around your food and how important that is. And I, I think we've discussed the milkshake experiment before, but that idea of ghrelin, which is your hunger hormone. And if your perception, so these two groups of people were given a milkshake, one lot were told it was diet, the other lot were told it was very high calorie. And then they measured the hunger hormone of these different participants. And the ones that were told that it was a diet milkshake had much higher um, levels of ghrelin than the ones that were told it was a high calorie milkshake. Their ghrelin was much lower. And it's so interesting that your belief around the food you're eating and when we go into diet mentality and it's mm -hmm. Monday and we're restricting because we were awful at the weekend, your ghrelin, so your hunger hormone is going to be driving you crazy because your perception is that you're not eating enough. So whenever I work with anyone, I'm like, no, 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 let's like completely work this the other way around. How can you be feeding yourself better? What yeah. do you need more of in your diet? Um, cause yeah, as soon as you perceive something as being like, I mean, nothing's That's... more depressing than thinking you've eaten a low calorie dinner. Like to me that, that would send me, 
rummaging around the cupboards very quickly because it's not satisfying it's depressing yeah, yeah absolutely <clears throat> i'm glad you brought up because i was about to say ghrelin is the hunger hormone as well if anyone's listening and, and not sure. i was gonna say like maybe we should because i don't think we've geeked out like angie and i have done some prep for this uh, little live <laughs> and we haven't gone like completely like geeked out on the fact that I think I always knew that there must be something in your brain that would perceive sweetness and want you to seek more of it. But it was really interesting. Um, and we both, I know, listened to the same research, but they did some research where they disguised the sweet taste of foods and they still found that people had a preference for the food or the liquid that had like the highest amounts of um, sugar in it. So even though there wasn't the sweet taste, there's something else happening in your body that's still gonna be driving you to those more sugary foods. And this was particularly interesting in regards to foods like crisps and foods that you might perceive as being salty. So if you've been listening going, I don't have a problem with sugar, but you know, salty snacks, I'm terrible. And quite often what they'll do is they'll add salt to these products to neutralize the sweetness away. But the sugar actually acts on, um, on some uh, receptor that actually lives in your gut, which will feed back up to your brain that you've consumed something sweet and will make you want more of it. So even if you're eating foods that are savory, but if you check the ingredients list, you'll probably see sugars in there because manufacturers know that if they put sugar in products, you're going to want more of it. And I think the perfect example is probably a Pringle. Like, you no know Sorry, I was going to say, did you, <laughs> when I was younger, I used to like playing The Sims and I used to like playing this, uh, I can't remember what it's called, like roller coaster thing where you used to build your own roller coaster, uh, like playground thing. And in it, you used to have a restaurant and in the restaurant, you had to try and make as many sales as possible. And in order to make more sales, what did you do? You added more salt and sugar to the drinks and food. <laughs> It just goes to show because it made people go back for more. So it's yeah. just, I think it was called Tycoon something. If anyone's listening, That's incredible. knows what a roller coaster. I'm too old, Andy. You're like, you're like a bit younger than me. I, I missed out on The Sims, I think. <laughs> but that is really interesting because these food manufacturers, they know what they're doing. So when you're buying highly processed foods, whether they're sweet or whether they're savory, the likelihood is they are packed with sugar because you they know that once that gets into your stomach that signal is going to go up to your brain and you're going to seek more of it so i often find that i'm also very similar in that idea of not being able to stop if i'm eating crisps or if i'm eating pretzels you know i have one and then i can't stop and then i'll be like you know just take the bowl away um and on an individual level i think some people are better at kind of self-regulating themselves and some people like me <laughs> don't leave me near near a bowl of salty crisps because again that's i keep going just, that's just reminded me of what i was going to talk about earlier actually because you brought it up it was about you know the fact that you can have a piece of chocolate and give it 30 minutes and see if you still want it i was given some really good advice once i think i can't remember who said it and they were talking about eating out and and that kind of thing and making sure that you eat to fullness etc and the advice was given, and you can do this if you do snack on chocolate and crisps and biscuits, is if I stopped here, I know that I can always come back for more. And I know that sounds a bit silly, but that gives you the power to know that, okay, I'm going to be a little bit brave here. And I've had three biscuits already. I'm going to stop here because actually there's a whole pack in the cupboard. And I could, if I wanted to, come back for more go away, go and do something. Now, some people will say, oh yeah, but the crisps, you know, the crisps or the biscuits are talking to me. That's a lie. <laughs> you, you are, you are talking yourself into going back to, you know, eat more. Knowing that there's always going to be, you know, crisps or chocolate and stuff in the cupboard. I know it sounds a bit backward because people are like, oh, it's a trigger food, but it gives you power because you know, I can have three biscuits again tomorrow if I wanted to, but it's a complete choice. It's not a compulsion. Yeah. So, I think knowing that for me, when I go out for dinner, I will eat so much until I'm full. Now, there's always that element of I could keep eating, but what I tend to do is put my knife and fork down for a few moments and I think I could come back for more here. And actually, after I've had a conversation, before I know it, I don't want any more. And I do this with lunch as well, because sometimes I make myself a huge lunch because I like eating big portions. And I'll get halfway through and I think I could come back for more. 
So I'm going to leave it a second. And sometimes I'll save that lunch for a snack in the afternoon rather than making a snack. So that for me typically works really well. The other thing I wanted to add, just going back to what I was saying about um, making sure that your meals aren't always the same is you can really make this quite simple. So I've got a few clients who will eat like protein porridge every day with berries. So a simple thing that you could do here to make it a little bit more interesting is simply switch things out. Like instead of having berries, could you have, I don't know, give me a, a fruit, pineapple, maybe oh, yeah. pineapple. Or like a dried apricots and raisins or something. Or yeah. Uh, yeah. Could, you, could you switch out peanut butter with your, your oats for almond butter or cashew yeah. butter? So yeah. it's just that simple element of changing a few things that will help you to get that you know pleasurable experience from your food rather than eating the same thing yeah, every day. Yeah, a hundred percent. And the not only will it give you more pleasure, your gut biome will be doing the happiest of dances. So again, I talk about this a lot, but variety is like the key to a happy and harmonious gut. Because again, if you're eating like the same berry every day, like if there's ever an opportunity to get a mixed bean or a mixed berry or a mixed seed, always go for the mixed. And it sounds like a really simple switch, but why have like just blackberries on your overnight oats if you could have a mix with cranberries and blueberries and raspberries? Because each of those like fruits will have different micronutrients. Each of them will have like a slightly different form of fiber. So not only is it more satisfying and delicious and keeping your dopamine, like anyone who works with me tends to love breakfast. I think it's because I get everyone to fall in love breakfast. with breakfast. As in we all love, ah, oh, like anything, oats, nut butters, berries, but actually keeping it fresh. So at the moment, my absolute obsession is um, dark frozen cherries with like chocolate protein powder. And I, I'm never changing my nut butter, I've got to say, Angie. It's always deep roasted, manny life. Crunchy, has to be crunchy. But actually that idea of keeping, what you want to do is to feel like the food you are eating is satisfying, delicious, nutritious. Because you're, again, like, it's your belief around your diet. So if your belief is that this is, this is your preference, my preferred breakfast, even if someone was like, oh, you could have Cocoa Pops. Like, I would be like, I would be devastated to lose my overnight oats for Cocoa Pops. Because I know, know Cocoa Pops wouldn't fill me up for like three seconds. Do you know what's really interesting, actually, and I kind of talked about this on my story, is that obviously I've just gone through my first trimester. Now, in my first trimester, food aversions were rife like literally everything i couldn't eat porridge i could not eat porridge it literally made me want to gag i couldn't eat vegetables i couldn't eat certain things unless i blended them and disguised them in things so i went through a phase of being a bit of i don't want to say a sugar junkie but being somebody who, who ate a lot of processed food yeah. a lot of quick fix things a lot of beige and it was really interesting for me because one, I didn't really feel like it was a choice because I was like, yeah, I can't yeah, yeah. salad, I'm going to puke. But also just the effect of actually how I felt after, you know, eating a cheese sandwich and a packet of crisps versus today I've just had, you know, cottage cheese with, um, on a jacket potato with some olive oil. And, you know, the difference in how I felt is I feel so much more energized now and I feel yeah. like I'm mentally more switched on whereas when I was eating toast for breakfast I went through a phase of eating um not cocoa pops the other one rice krispies uh, that's about the only thing I could stomach for about yeah. two weeks yeah. rice krispies. and like one I was not as full I was eating again within the next hour number yeah. two my energy levels did not serve me I just and number three I just wanted more of it. I can't tell you how many times I went back for three bowls, you know, three bowls yeah, of rice yeah. crispies. So actually, backtrack a little bit. Obviously, I didn't have a choice there and I felt sick all the time. But look at how you are feeling after these foods. Yeah, and question, question, how is this affecting my energy levels? Now, we can talk a little bit about this in terms of like people will say, oh, if I eat a big lunch, I get a huge lull. And like... They don't like that feeling because it makes them feel tired. But often I think sometimes that's because they've eaten too much, too much of one particular food group. Yes, yes. Um, so really making sure that you do balance out your plate. And you can do this via calorie tracking or you can do it with your hands, you know, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Protein, um, a cup full of carbs, two fistfuls of veg. And then you know just about how much to eat 
for your, you know, yourself and your size. Yeah, 100%. I really, yeah, I really like that. I think it, it's definitely about getting it right. And that idea of beliefs that we hold around certain foods. And often I'm working with clients who they restrict these foods, but actually once you've given yourself that complete permission, like say for example, I was like, I, I, you know, I have complete permission to eat Cocoa Pops if I wanted to. But the reason I don't is because I choose not to. But I think sometimes people have a belief around certain foods that they're so delicious. So say for example, let's demonize Cocoa Pops, but um, you know, they're so delicious. It's just what I want. I love the chocolatey flavor. It feels amazing in my mouth but then you'd have to kind of undo that so you can kind of reverse it so is that belief true like how does it make you feel like you're saying like is it serving you how do you feel after you've had the cocoa pops well actually I feel like initially quite buzzy and then I feel quite low in energy and then I'm hungry again oh okay so the fact you felt like it was a really good breakfast the only way you could imagine starting your day that's not actually true and it's that unpicking of these kind of stuck narratives and I think now I've given myself complete permission to eat all of these foods, I notice that the power shift is different and they don't hold a power over me. They could be in my cupboard and I would never touch them, not because I'm not allowed to touch them, but because I've done the work behind the fact that those foods don't serve me, they don't make me feel optimal. I could have a bowl, it would be fine, but I'd also have to have my overnight oats because I love them and I derive real pleasure from them and they serve me. They move me like towards being able to perform better in just life generally, not just kind of like in the gym and in working out and stable blood sugars, which I suppose I'm just having a little look. So I did make some very comprehensive notes. But again, <laughs> about people thinking about trying to control the so the glycemic index is the the amount of kind of blood sugar rise that you'll get after eating certain foods. And I think there was a lot of kind of a lot of information flying around about like low GI foods, etc., and kind of glorifying foods that wouldn't raise your blood sugar too high and kind of putting them on a bit of a pedestal. And they did briefly talk about it in this podcast. And I think the take home, which I think I always say to my guys, I'll listen to hours of podcasts and geek out because I love it. And I'll just distill it down to what I think you should know, which is obviously we don't eat foods in isolation. And what you were saying, Angie, about kind of the fact that adding in fats is going to stop your blood sugar rise. So thinking about, and we both have such a, I think this is why we love each other so much, but very <laughs> kind of similar ideas about, I, I call it like the plate method, you just went through your hand method, but that idea of having a balanced plate of food that does contain carbohydrates, but again, like I would say like two or three, you know, tablespoonfuls, having your protein, having half a plate of vegetables, sprinkling on some like healthy fats or you know maybe even just feta or something but some fat or olive oil or seeds or whatever it is but thinking about that is going to mean that you're not going to have a massive blood sugar response and if you're not having a massive blood sugar response you're not going to get that slump either so you're going to feel much more steady in your energy levels you're not going to be experiencing those highs and searching behaviors to get back the high and for so many women that I work with, the, the slump comes about three or four in the afternoon and the kids have come home from school and they're eating because they're monsters and they're rifling through the cupboards and you're just mindlessly kind of eating along with them. And the reason we get that is obviously because it was probably four hours since lunch and our blood sugars are low. So you're really therefore needing probably like a nice balanced snack at that moment in time so again like when people say well that's when i reach for the biscuits i'm like well fine have the biscuit but before you have the biscuit or with the biscuit can we just make that snack a bit better and i had this beautiful woman who i'm still working with now and she used to really struggle to only eat one lotus biscuit or two biscoffee whatever it's called yeah, yeah. And, um she did an amazing thing and she sent me a photo and i was so proud she got some Greek yogurt and then she crumbled up to biscoffee biscuits and sprinkled on some seeds and some berries and she sent me a picture and she was like it was so satisfying it gave her everything she wanted it aligned more with the type of person she wanted to be 
And I don't think I'd ever really thought about doing that before. I've done that before. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> fry yeah. it over oats. So if you have um, porridge, put like a biscuit, a ginger nut bus biscuit over, over oats. Delicious, yeah. Okay, but I just love that idea of like, rather than, again, it's coming with abundance rather than restriction. So rather than thinking, well, how can I not eat biscuits in the afternoon? It's like, what can I have with my biscuits? Or maybe uh, have a protein shake with your biscuit and you're, I mean, a protein shake. I mean, I know that they're, you know, uber processed, etc. But there's nothing that stunts hunger um, like a protein shake. So for me in the afternoon, I will have like around four o'clock before I decide if I need to kind of embark in the, the craziness of the children eating everything they come across. I'll be like, well, I'll have my protein shake and a cup of tea. That's a high volume of liquid as well. And the need to pick goes, it disappears. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I say to, um, to my clients is about having a second lunch. Yeah, so, I love your second lunch. Tell us yeah, about the second lunch. They're having, you know, most people get up and eat their breakfast anywhere between, you know, 7am and 9am, maybe yeah. a bit later. Then you'll have lunch, what, typically about 12 and 1. And it always surprises me when people go, oh, by, you know, by 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I just can't stop picking. And I'm like, okay, what time do you have dinner? And they're like, oh, 7, 8 o'clock. And I'm like, are you telling me that you're trying to imagine yourself getting from 12 o'clock in the afternoon till 7 o'clock without any more food of course you need something to eat so like I always try and encourage clients like just to have a second lunch yeah. and that can sometimes help the help remove like the sweet craving because you're yes. having something you know essentially savory you could yeah. have something sweet you know yogurt and I quite like yogurt and rice cakes and peanut butter and that kind of thing or I will just have if I've had like a chicken wrap and salad for lunch I will just have a, another chicken wrap, you know, at four o'clock. And that for me really takes the edge off and it breaks down that gap in between lunch and dinner. Yeah. Um, and you're much less likely to overeat then when you get to dinner. Like yeah. I have occasionally, for some awful reason, not been able to have my high protein snack at around four and then I've gone past hunger. So then by the time I walk through the door, I'm right. like, yeah, rage. I call it raging bull syndrome. Um, but simple little things that you can have, and maybe we can just list them off because it might be helpful for the listeners. But you could have things like a boiled egg on toast. You know, if uh -huh. your kids are coming home and having toast. I used to have cheese on toast when I came home from school. So even just something like that, cheese on toast with a fruit, a few um, crudités or some fruit. Yeah, amazing. Yogurt and fruit. You know, like you've just said, a biscuit crumbled on top of yogurt. Yeah. Um, Rivita, I think Rivita with a slice of ham and cheese and beetroot, amazing. It's all these different things that you can have yeah. that will stop you going for the biscuits. And it's also, I think then, if you've prepared it with love, and again, your belief around it, because I think we can have funny beliefs around snacks, like no snacks because I'm on a diet, but actually, planning a snack and knowing you can close. I talk about closing eating windows quite a lot with my gang. So I'm like, you know, have a satisfying breakfast, close that window, um, have a satisfying lunch, close that window. And if you know that you're going to have a nice snack in the afternoon and you eat at 12.30 and you're gonna have a snack at four, you don't need to feel stuffed because you're never waiting that long for your next opportunity to have something nice. And I know what helps a lot of people as well is having maybe, because um, I, I do think there is a drive to have something sweet after meals, not after breakfast, strangely, like breakfast is on its own, isn't it? But um, after lunch, I'll always have a piece of fruit because it helps me get in enough fruit. Um, but also that kind of leads on to, obviously fruit is also gonna spike your blood sugar, but pairing it with just after a meal means you're not gonna have the same spike and you're not gonna have that. I mean, there's not many people who are like, oh, once I've eaten an apple, I just can't stop. <laughs> or, you know, once I've had a carrot, the did whole you, bag's gone. Did you hear that piece of research, though, that, that was about fruit? That actually the more fruit you eat drives you to eat more fruit. Oh, so basically... Because of the yeah, fructose, or...? Yeah, it was something to do with the fructose, and it was... Um, basically, if you're one of those people who always tries to snack on fruit, you'll never feel full. And it will drive you to eat even more sugar, essentially. So I've had this before. I've, I've coached clients where they're like, oh, I just eat loads of fruit. Like I'll have fruit for lunch. And I'm like, that's not a balanced meal. So making sure that you are, you know, yeah. snacks, getting an array of different macronutrients, proteins, yeah. fats, carbs yeah. and fiber, rather than just focusing on, you know, your yeah. fruit. 
sugar. And you'll be driven to eat more yeah and then with the fruit have it in its whole form so stop blitzing it stop breaking up the plant walls because again they talked a lot in this podcast about fructose because fructose it's not um, as readily accessible to the brain so it gets processed and broken down in the liver and then obviously if you're not using that energy it turns into fat um, but he was like very much like fruit is still amazing because fruit comes in this like package of fiber and all those micronutrients so it's not as readily available as that horrible what's it called that corn um uh the fructose the really bad stuff that's in highly processed foods uh, like corn syrup like corn do you know syrup. what i mean corn yeah syrup. so if you see corn syrup it's just kind of like i mean i'm not gonna well i'm gonna say crack cocaine it's not really like that but as in again that that's one of the ones to look out for if it's in an ingredients list that's probably gonna send the receptors in your tummy and brain absolutely crazy and you're gonna want more and more and more of it but like you say making sure that there's some fiber so if you're wanting to blunt which i suppose in a way particularly if you have got a fat loss goal particularly if you're trying to control your sugar appetite is link having your sugar after a balanced meal i think is what we're both saying so if I do have, well, I do have chocolate, I love chocolate. So I'll tend to have it after a meal. And the yeah. meal will obviously have been balanced because it will have been the plate method. And therefore that drive is gonna be less. It will still be there, but it will be less than if I'd had like just macaroni cheese. Um, and then I went and had some chocolate because there wouldn't have been much fiber. Whereas if I'd had macaroni cheese with loads of broccoli and like some bacon, so I got my protein or whatever. And then I had chocolate like it's blunting your dopamine response because you've got fiber in your gut you've got that feeling of fullness and i would say if you've got a body composition goal don't reach for sugar when you're hungry like if you're factoring it yes. in for pleasure <laughs> and for the mouth feel and for the delight of chocolate don't have it because you're hungry have it because you want it and it's pleasurable not to satiate hunger because it won't satiate hunger it will never scratch that itch it will actually make it worse because you're stuck in that cycle so have your protein shake or have your balanced meal, then have your chocolate. And also have it immediately after. Don't wait 30 minutes. Just have it straight after your yeah. meal. Yeah, 100%. 100%. That, that waiting can build up that kind of urgency and that you know pleasure drive to have even more. So you might then wait 30 minutes, have your chocolate, and then you're like, oh, actually, I want a bit more. But if you have it immediate, immediately after your meal, that way you're going to get you know that kind of blunted... Um, yeah. Type of feeling so i was yeah. having a quick look through because i realized probably as much as people love to listen to us for at least 45 minutes there was a <laughs> couple of other tips that i was just having a little look through one was um the fact that ingesting and i've never tried it maybe i will but if you are having a sugary meal what can also blunt your blood sugar response is having two tablespoons of lemon juice or lime juice so if you're having a, a meal that's very high in sugar if you kind of want to blunt kind of getting that massive spike in blood sugars, they're talking about the research. If you ingest it with having like two tablespoons of lemon or lime juice in a drink alongside that sugary meal, you won't get the same glucose kind of spike in your blood sugars. Not that I've tried it, but if you like a lemony drink. That's interesting. I was just thinking, I wonder if that's the same for like pancakes, you know, when you have sugar. Yeah. <laughs> But it kind of cuts through the sugar, sugariness and the sweetness. So again, if you're looking at pairing, and I suppose lots of time in cooking we do that, because actually, I mean, you know, we've cooked in the same way for like hundreds and hundreds of years, but that pairing of sweet and sour and combining, like you say, a sugary pancake with a squeeze of a lemon, it will regulate your response. So it's going to kind of like blunt it a little bit more because you've got that sweet and savory competing. And then the only other thing which I thought was a bit mind blowing and I really didn't know this information before the podcast was that if you drink a sugary drink, whether it actually contains sugar or not, so just the receptors in your mouth knowing that it tastes sweet, your drive to seek out not only more sugary food, but also just food in general increases. And I thought that was... Oh, my mind was blown, Angie. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. And, and, and I, I think I kind of knew that already. But that's one, um, one reason, actually, recently, obviously, being pregnant, I used to drink sugar-free squash all the time because I found water really boring. And when I became pregnant, I was like, probably shouldn't be drinking sugar-free squash all the time if that's the hydration that the baby's going to get. So, yeah started to drink water what i have noticed 
is, and this is actually only that over the past like two weeks that I've really upped my water intake and stopped buying squash, is I don't crave sweet things that much anymore. And maybe it's to do with the fact I'm in my tri uh, second trimester and my food aversions have changed and whatever. But just noticing that actually, it took me a few days. It took me a few, I felt like, <laughs> I felt like I was an addict to sugar, uh, to, yeah. to um, squash. Because for a few days I was like, oh, I'm really not enjoying this. I just want my squash back. <laughs> and now, now I'm really enjoying water again. Yeah. But yeah, it did. It, I have noticed I'm not craving sweet things as much. Yeah. One, one thing I just wanted to say to round it up and apologize if my um, audio is a bit backdated um, is for those people who are in this like phase, because I was in it, you know, four weeks ago with eating a lot of beige and you cannot stop, you know, this uh, eating sugar consistently and you just want to go back for more is I actually, I don't like the word detox and I don't like these words, but having a day where you, and you use this word, reset, where you reset and you say, right, today is the day that I'm going to actually eat three balanced meals and choose healthy sources. You almost need that reset sometimes to actually break the habit because essentially yeah. you are just in the habit of reaching out for quick fixes. Yeah. And sometimes you need something to break the chain. Now, something that I have changed my mind on quite a lot recently is low calorie things so basically what I used to do is I used to calorie track and I track you know and I do a low calorie deficit to get into the shape that I wanted to and what I was finding is when I was choosing uh, low calorie meals I'd always get that sugary craving after and then I'd have something you know low calorie after and one thing I found was I never, ever actually fully felt satiated. Mm -hmm. Now my mind has massively changed. And I used to be, this is quite strange, but I used to be dead against clients kind of saying, oh, I'm not going to buy a normal muffin. I'm going to make healthy muffins. And I used to say, well, why would you make a healthy muffin when you can buy a normal muffin? And there's a time and a place for this. However, being in this situation that I've just been in, where I've been eating very, a lot of beige, a lot of crisps, a lot of this, I actually wanted to make healthy snacks. Yeah. I wanted to make healthy versions of things because one, I felt more satiated by them. And two, I was sick and tired of eating that process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was sick and tired of it. So actually, my actual like coaching ethos and my methods and my thoughts have changed a lot. And I now encourage clients to, you know, if a client says to me, oh, actually, I really want to make some healthy flapjacks. I'm like, okay, make some healthy flapjacks. Whereas before, when I was on the low calorie tribe with the calorie deficit, you know, dieters are there, which I'm still, you know, I still will get clients to track calories, but I'm more well-educated now about yeah. these types of things. You know, if I, d I don't encourage these low calorie options as much anymore. I'd rather they have more fat, more fiber, more deliciousness in their meals yeah. rather than always opting for low calorie stuff that never fills you up. Yeah. I mean, some of those things, they're just like literally made of air, aren't they? Um, and again, like nothing, like anyone who works with me, they can eat anything. They can eat like, but I think as you say, like we, if you come to work with us, we've done it. Like we're going to fast forward you because we have done the low calorie, high protein, low carb. Like, you know, we've done it all. And actually what we've both come out of the other end is kind of fully formed people with healthy relationships with all foods and realizing there can be a place and a time for all foods. And the more you are abundant in your mindset and the less you restrict and think about more, like actually it pushes out the need for those other things anyway. And you just start making choices for a place of freedom. So like if someone came to me and they were just like, oh, I just love a Diet Coke, like have a Diet Coke, it's fine. Yeah. But also like it has, I think you obviously knew it already, but it has made me think about those people who are, they're maybe not really serving themselves if they're always sipping on something sweet. Because although maybe it hasn't got any calories in it, maybe internally from that gut point of view and from that kind of neural drive point of view, if you start considering yourself as this kind of glucose hunting animal, you need to help yourself out and maybe putting sweet taste in your mouth continually, whether they contain calories or not, 
isn't serving you because ultimately it's driving your sugar appetite. And I, I do like your idea of resetting because I think the less sugar that you have, and there's nothing wrong with sugar. I mean, you and I both eat sugar. Sugar is in some of my most favorite foods, but definitely if you feel out of balance or out of whack with your sugar appetite, you need to start to feel like you, you, you're in the driving seat. You know, you're not the passenger, you're the pilot. You're controlling your choices around food and you're not being driven by this kind of animal instinct to just kind of devour anything sugary. And then that feels really powerful and it feels good. So I really hope that people have got some tips, which I think in a nutshell is enjoy whatever you want to enjoy, but try and have a balanced meal first. Have a think maybe about if you are ingesting lots of, if drinking lots of kind of very sugary drinks, like to maybe have a think about your squash habit. I also think for children, like most of the clients I work with will be like, well, I've got all of these snacks in for the kids, but we need to be really thinking about how that's serving our children and how mm -hmm. that's setting them up um, for not having great success in maybe where they want to take their body compositions in the future if we're feeding their sugar appetite all the time. So actually, I, I always say when women say, oh, I can't maybe engage with you, Katie, because I need to eat with the family. I'm like, that's exactly why I want you to engage with me, because I want the whole family to be eating better. Because we're, you know, again, I think on a tangent to the podcast, they did start talking about kind of fatty liver disease in children and the fact that although these children look like they're fine, if they're having a lot of sugar and they're having so much fructose that their, their livers aren't able to just um, convert it obviously into glucose for energy, it's being stored as fat. And never before have there been so many children getting fatty liver disease. So they look like, you know, children living in, you know, healthy sized bodies, but actually internally we're doing them no favors. So again, reflecting on our sugar appetites, the sugar appetites of our children and positive little nudges. You don't need to be all or nothing, but maybe there's a couple of nudges you can take away. Yeah, absolutely. Could not agree more. Shall we wrap it up? Oh, it oh I would love to talk to you all day, Angie. Can we talk again? I think Angie and I, if yeah. you have enjoyed it, I think Angie and I are going to start collaborating on topics a bit more frequently because it's really nice to, I think, bounce ideas and just see your beautiful face. Thank you. <laughs> um, for anyone who has listened or is listening to this on the podcast, I apologise if you've heard a gushing of wind in the background. It seems to be a storm in uh, in my area, but never mind. Um, I do hope you've enjoyed this and please feel free to reach out to both of us and let us know what you took away from it. Or if you've got any ideas about things that have helped you perhaps stop snacking and picking on sugar, then please, we are all ears. We'd love to know. Um, so yeah, don't hesitate to reach out and drop us a message and I hope you've enjoyed this. Bye, Lots darling. Love, everyone. See Bye. You soon. Bye.